Welcome back to the Olive Tree Church Podcast. If you're new to this channel, we hope you find this content helpful and inspiring. To find out more about OTC, head over to our website or social media channels linked in the description. We hope you enjoy this past Sunday's message. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me and for that introduction. Um, It is an absolute privilege to be here and one that I don't take lightly. Uh, And um, yeah, on behalf of my family, they uh, apologize. Our daughter Emily was in a surfing competition this morning, so Brad and the boys needed to go and be cheerleaders there instead of cheerleaders here, Um, and then on their way home to go and prepare for our service later today. Uh, And yeah, so some of you may know me, I, I lead a movement, I don't really know what to call it, so I just call it a movement, it's called The Chat, and The Chat exists to help um, families and, and communities have hard conversations. It started out just talking about sex, and then very quickly realized there were a whole lot of other hard conversations that um, parents were, felt ill-equipped for, and communities and schools um, needed help with, so yeah, um, I talk into all sorts of spaces, um, like Tim said, sexuality, gender, pornography, social media are probably the four big ones right now that um, people are feeling like they need help navigating. And with all of that, when I, when I, um, when I think about what, what is the heart of every single thing I do, it is connection. Um, it is, and when I, when I see um, families struggling, when I see um, young people caught in porn addiction, um, when I see um, you know, young people struggling with gender and identity and things like that, there's often at the root of it um, a feeling of being untethered and disconnected. And so this morning, um, my hope is that um, yeah, I can just share a little bit of my heart around connection with you, um, the importance of connection, uh, and, and then also some of the reasons why we disconnect, um, some of the reasons why we can feel disconnected, and then also the importance of prioritizing and building deep connection. And before I start, I think it's important um, to realize that um, we live in a culture that has is placing less and less importance and emphasis on the collective, um, on community, on the, on the connections that hold community together. Um, we are um, in what we call a postmodern world, and where we see the absolute. Um, I actually watched a BBC documentary on it, and they called it the age of self, um, where that where individual is king. And actually, this is a relatively new phenomenon. And in most cultures before ours, before this, um, most individuals would make their decisions based on what was good for the community. Um, So if I wanted to make a big life decision, I would go to my community. I'd probably go to people older than myself um, and I would talk it out with them. I would talk it through with them. And then they would talk to me and then together we would decide, is this good for my community? And if it is, I would go for it. And if it wasn't, I would lay that thing aside and um, I would continue. But, but our culture now is nothing like that. Um, more and more, we live in a culture where um, what we want and what we need um, trumps the needs of, of the collective community. Um, slogans like, follow your heart, 
Um, if it feels good, just do it. And then my personal favorites, do what makes you happy. Um, this is what we see um, in pretty much every shop and, uh, um, around us. And what, what we, what we, it's actually almost like a subconscious thing where we really do make our decisions based on what, what we want and what is good for, for us. Um, it doesn't sound like a bad thing, but it's, um, it actually, when we do make decisions like that, we do... Um, intentionally kind of disconnect ourselves um, from community. And what, what also we're seeing with this rise of self is um, an unwillingness to commit. Um, we see it in relationships. Uh, you know, I, I deal with a lot of teenagers and, and, I, and I try and get my head around how these relationships work, where you go from vibing to chatting to dating, and like, where does one start? Where does, and then, oh no, sometimes you're kissing, and then you're vibing, and then you're dating, and I'm like, okay, so where's the, where's the commitment happen? No, 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 dating, dating, but, but sometimes, and, and so a lot of young people will stay in the chatting, the chatting zone for a long time to keep their options open before they go, okay, I really like this person, and I'm going to lay other things aside. Um, but also, we see it, um, I, I see it with a lot of my younger friends who I'll invite them over for dinner. I say, would you like to come and join us for dinner on Saturday night? And the, the reply that comes back via text, of course, is, that sounds good. And I look at this and I go, I don't know what that means. <laughs> Does that mean you're coming? You're not coming? Must I cater for you? Can I invite someone else in your place? Or are you going to wait until half an hour before on Saturday night to see if a better, cooler person has asked you to do something more fun with them? Um, but I see this and I joke with them a lot. I'm like, you need to answer yes or no. Okay, that are, those are your options. It sounds good or that sounds like fun is not an answer to me. But we do see this a lot. And then we also see it in, um, in the fact that in our culture for the first time, actually in, in the history of civilization, we live in a culture that doesn't have an agreed um, definition of, uh, of moral absolutes. You know, this kind of idea, this, this, um, this agreed set of rules or moral codes that we live by that says this is right and that's wrong. Um, we live more, more and more in a culture of relative and personal truth. I mean, we, we, we always hear, we will often will hear this, you live your truth, you speak your truth, girl. Um, there's, there's kind of no longer the truth, it's kind of personal truth or relative truth. And so what we do in, the, in this space is um, we kind of leave each other to our own truths and then we'll get on just fine. Um, and that's Jonathan Grant, who wrote a book called Divine Sex, puts it like this. He says, modern culture encourages us to create our own beliefs and morality. The only rule being that they must resonate with who we really feel we are. The worst thing you can do is conform to some moral code imposed on us by society, parents, church, or whoever. It is deemed to be self-evident that any such imposition would undermine our unique and authentic belief. And you might say, you know, as Christians, we know that's not true. We believe in an absolute absolute truth. It's called the Bible. But more and more, um, we see even, even us as Christians going, well, I'll take that bit. And I'll take that part. But surely that part is outdated. God didn't know, you know, when the Bible was written all those years ago, you know, he didn't know how expensive it was to live by yourself till you got married. You know, he didn't, did, you know, he didn't really understand what it would be like in 2022 and you were dating when, when everyone else is having sex. He didn't know that was going to happen. Um, but but so this is that kind of thinking creeping in even to our own Christian lives. And so tolerance is the order of the day where we kind of tolerate each other and 
to a degree, not a, lot, not a lot of tolerance online. We usually just throw our comments out online and in, in, in real life we kind of tolerate each other, but um, often keep each other at arm's length rather than investing in messy relationships. Um, I also in my work see increasingly disconnected families. Um, we're families who live in one home, our ships in the night. Uh, you know, we are, our kids are, are signed up for every extramural, and if they're good at sport, you have to send them to extra cricket and extra hockey so that they can keep up and make the team and get into that. And, and then you see that your child knows how to hold a, um, you know, a guitar, and you're like, oh, maybe they're the next like, superstar, got to pay for music lessons. And, and we buy into this cultural thing of just more and more and more and more and more. And, and before you know it, we're just rushing in and out the house you know, for the next thing. And then even if we don't have children, it's like we, we, have, we do this, this running race and then that activity and that social event and, and we're just super, super busy. Um, married couples even are disconnected as, by the lies they believe about sexuality, um, by work overload, uh, things like that, and, and, and singles as well, more lonely than ever before, often choosing to live alone rather than live with family until they get married, um, often working really, really hard um, and and often overcommitting socially, saying that sounds good to 10 different people. Um, and then on Friday night, you're just too tired to go to any of them, so you just lie on the couch and eat junk food and watch Netflix. Um, and this is kind of often the, the world that we are buying into, this very, very busy, rushed-filled world which leaves us disconnected um, from even the people that we love the most. And connection is fundamental to human flourishing. It is honestly, um, I, I read a quote a little while ago that says, face-to-face -face connection is the wellspring of human flourishing. And I honestly believe it to be true. In all the work I do, um, those families and those individuals and those people who I see who are thriving, most of them are investing and doing the hard work that it takes to be deeply invested in, in connection. Um, my daughter, uh, Emily, is in grade nine now. Uh, my twin boys are in grade seven. And Emily started high school last year. Um, probably the worst year to start high school was like, the deepest, darkest COVID. Um, and so masked up in a school that was hyper-vigilant. You know, there's some schools that kind of were a little bit more lenient. Hers was not like that. Um, ma everyone masked up. I'm not speaking into COVID today, so don't read into what I'm saying. But she hated every single day of school last year, except for two. You know, she, there were some days I couldn't get her to walk through the door, walk through the gate. She would sit crying in the car. She would say, Mom, please don't make me go. I can't go. I don't want to go. And, um, and when we kind of talked about it at the end of the year, and she said to me, please, Mom, let me leave. I don't want to go back to school. And I said to her, well, was there anything about the year that you enjoyed? And she thought, she said, there were two days. She said, the one day was when we had school photos. And um, some of us got back to the class early. There were about 10 of us and the teacher wasn't there yet. So we pulled our masks down and we sat chatting for five minutes. She loved that. And then the second one was when, um, when COVID protocols allowed gatherings and they had sports day. Together with her, with her friends, um, with a sense of unity as you wore your house colors, as you shouted and, and just had the sense of belonging to something. And I know there's some, some introverts who loved their masks, meant they didn't have to talk to anyone. Um, and my daughter is a hyper extrovert like her mother. But um, it just showed me that humans are made for connection. Um, and we really, uh, it is really something that we are, um, 
that, that God has put in us as, as, an, as a need and, a, and, and actually one of the, the tools and the keys to living the, the beautiful full lives that God has for us. And so um, I just wanna talk a little bit about um, the importance of connection and what it does for us before I talk about how the enemy has disconnected us a bit and then how we can prioritize connection. So in the Bible, it, you don't have to go very far to see God talking about connection. So in Genesis 2 verse 7, which I think will go up there, yeah. Um, the, it says, then God, Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living thing. So from the very moment that God created you and me, the very first moment there was connection. We see in the Bible that God used his words to create the world to create light and dark and animals and plants, but he used his touch and his breath to create humanity. And I heard it once said of the scripture that God created me with his touch so that I would always crave his touch. And I believe that to be true. I believe God knits me together in my mother's womb and you can't knit something without touching it. <laughs> He knit me together with his hands, deeply connected to me, because that is what I'm made for. I am made for connection with him. And then it goes on in, in Genesis 2, verse 20 to 25, to say, so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds and the sky, in the sky, and all the wild animals. For, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. And that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and Eve were both naked and they felt no shame. Now there's so much beautiful language in the scripture that speaks so deeply of connection. Um, flesh of my flesh, united. Um, and, and this fact that, that Adam and Eve stood naked and unashamed before God. And for, for me, the scripture says a few things to me. It says that, that um, Adam and Eve were deeply self-aware of who they were and they were not ashamed. They could stand um, before God and before each other. And it was a very short time when there was no shame in the world. And then also that, that um, we were made um, for community. We were made, at the, it says that no, no suitable helper was found, but um, humanity is made for community. And then also that uh, we were made for connection with God. It says a little bit later in that scripture, and we'll talk about it just now, is that, that Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. And I love that. I love that. You know, I often watch period dramas. And um, one of the things I love about them is how much they just walk. Or just sit and sew. Or just, I don't know, it's just this thing of like just being. And, I, and we were just created to be with him. Um, I, just, I just love that. And, and so we see from the scripture that connection really is the goal of all relationships. Of our relationship with God, of our relationships with our own souls, and with our relationship with others. Um, I read an incredible um, story about this when I was doing some research into digital addiction. And it, it's from a book by Adam Alter called Irresistible. And he tells a story of how during the Vietnam War, um, many of the soldiers, whose average age I think was around 17, um, when they were in Vietnam, they became addicted to opium. 
which is what heroin is made from. Um, and so these soldiers would sit in the, in the trenches, not in, they went, it wasn't in the trenches, in the jungle, um, with rotting feet and um, humidity and mosquitoes, killing, watching people being killed, and intense boredom for long stretches of time. And there was a lot of cheap opium. So what a lot of them would do is they would smoke opium while they were waiting and just to numb the terror, the pain, the boredom. And when the American government heard about this and realized that this was happening, they were incredibly worried about what would happen when these soldiers returned. And so what they did is they, they established many, many rehab clinics around America for the return of these young men to help them deal with their addictions when they got home. But what happened when they got back was... Very surprising. As these men came back, came back to families, came back to jobs, came back to communities, came back to neighborhoods, only 3% of them remained addicted to opium, which goes against a lot of what we believe about addiction, where addiction is chemical and once you're addicted, you're addicted. And so what um, the, the researchers around this story and, and uh, many others that I don't have time to tell you about, the conclusion was the the um, opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. And that connection is incredibly powerful in helping us overcome many, many things. Um, many, many um, addictions, um, struggles. Um, I had a friend who, um, we live in Amshloti, as you know, we had two floods. Um, and I had a friend who, who had to evacuate her children on her own without her husband. He was away during the first flood. And... Um, when the second flood hit, she got proper PTSD. On that night, she shut down. She couldn't function. She couldn't teach. She, she was a teacher. She couldn't parent. She literally shut down. And um, just yesterday, she put a message on our, um, on our ladies' WhatsApp group just talking about her testimony of how God has brought her back to wholeness. And when you read how God did it, it was because she was deeply connected to people who loved her. Even when she doubted God, couldn't pray, couldn't do anything, there were people who would not let her go. We would not let her go. We fasted for her, we prayed for her, we, we texted her when we knew she didn't even have the energy or the inclination to text us back. We dropped meals even when we knew she, she didn't have the courage to open the door and, and give us a hug. But it was that, that connection um, to community that brought her back um, to a place of wholeness. And so guess what? The enemy hates connection. <laughs> I often think, you know, the enemy um, uses this disconnect to rob us of so much of what God has for us. And there's so many strategies he uses, and I don't have time to go into many, so I've just chosen a couple. And um, obviously, I do a lot of work around sexuality, so I have quite a lot of um, experience around this. But I see sexuality as one of the places, um, the, 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 is one of the strategies where um, the enemy will, will tamper with, break, and damage what is meant to be one of humanity's deepest connections. So sex is, is actually the deepest and most profound way you can connect with another human being. It is how, when, when it says a man shall leave his mother and father and be united with his wife, it doesn't mean just share a house with her. It means they will have sex. 
That's what that word means. Also, there's also, it's also translated as knowing, like this intimate knowing. And so sex is a gift that God gave humanity to deeply connect a man and a woman together in marriage. It is, it is amazing, and I, honestly, I can, I can get very excited about the science behind this because I love science. Um, but basically, when a man and a woman have sex, there's three sets of hormones that are released. One is called oxytocin, primarily released in the brains of women. And this is the same chemical we release when we breastfeed our babies that causes us to love and nurture them and, and still want to do that in the middle of the night when we haven't slept for four days um, and, and all we want to do is um, just shut our eyes for a minute. So oxytocin bonds us to the person we're having sex with and makes us want to, to nurture, to care for, to be with. It's this, it, it, it creates this intense trust um, in the one that we, are having, we have had sex with. Um, and then in men, it's primarily a chemical called vasopressin, which is, called, which is known as the monogamy molecule or the jealousy hormone. Again, intense bonding chemical, which, which makes the man want to protect. Um, it's it kind of this jealous protection over the one he's having sex with, wants to look after her, make sure nobody hurts her and no harm comes to her. And then there's the... Um, then there are the endorphins, which are the happy hormones, which make sex enjoyable. If you, if, you want to, if you want proof that God wanted sex to be fun, you just have to read Song of Songs. There's a whole book in the Bible dedicated to how enjoyable sex is meant to be. Apparently, um, Jewish boys were not allowed to read Song of Songs until they were 15. Um, so... So sex is this powerful gift, um, but, but as a culture, we've taken this very important, very powerful thing, and we've turned it into something casual. We've treated it as a casual thing. We, we think that we can have sex with no strings attached. Casual sex does not exist. When you have sex with someone, you bond with them. Whether it is your wife who you want to spend the rest of your life with, or whether it's someone you've met on Tinder and never intend to see again. You don't control whether those hormones are released in your body. And so, there, and so when we do this continually, if we, if we do have a casual hookup culture attitude to sex, we bond and then we break and then we bond and we break and our brains just get so confused and we're like, you bond and then your brain goes, oh, it's the one, it's the one, we found it. No, no, sorry, that was just a hookup. Okay, and then, and, you, and you bond here and then your brain goes, oh, is this the one? Is this the one? The body's like telling me this is the one. Is it? No, 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 that's not the one. And then we continue like this. And so, so what your body, what your brain eventually does is with each sexual encounter, it releases less and less of these hormones because it's going, okay, I don't want to, and, and eventually the level of hormones that is connecting you to the other human being is incredibly low. It's, a, it's, a, it's something called defensive detachment. It's your body and your brain and your heart trying to protect itself because your body is making all these promises that it never keeps. And so you can imagine what that does when you eventually do find the one and you wanna be with them and, and, and you know, give everything to them and have this life together. Something that was meant to be cement, that was meant to be superglue is now like prit. That is why, and I read it again in the Wall Street Journal this week. They, the research is showing if you want to give your marriage the highest chance of success, don't live together before you get married. That's not Christian research. That is secular research. Couples who don't live together and don't have sex before they get married have a way higher chance of that marriage lasting. 
But we take this gift and we, we, we kind of like, we, we even go to the extent of not even having sex with people anymore, having sex on an iPhone. And you know what happens? You release those same hormones, but, but now, you're, now you're bonding to your iPhone. And, we, and I see this in my research where there's couples who, who can't even have sex unless they're watching porn at the same time. Okay, I can get very carried away with this, so I need to move on. Um, John Tyson, an incredible Bible teacher, says this. He says, sex has enough combustible power to destroy character, marriage vows, conscience, relig- and religious devotion. And marriage is the only, the only structure, the only um, container strong enough to contain it and to hold it. Um, and one of my favorite quotes about sex is from Anne Forskamp, and she says, the union of two bodies is nothing less than the union of two souls. Don't do with your skin what you're not ready to do with your whole life. But the enemy does not tell us that. He says that we can have body connection without soul connection, but it isn't true. The other thing that the enemy does to break connection is the rise of individualism. And I've spoken about this a little. I just wanna say a couple of things. The rise of individualism is having a huge impact on family and on church. In families, it's kind of, I I see some couples going, no, you went away with the boys last weekend. It's my turn to go away with my friends this weekend. Or no, you went for a run yesterday. I'm going for a run today. Or my career, your career. This kind of like, instead of what is good for our family, what is good for us? We're often fighting for our own rights. And we see it in church as well, um, where often we are reluctant to commit to church, reluctant to be part of a family of a church where um, you know, we'll come to church, we'll enjoy the good coffee, we'll in, take some of the preacher, part of the preach that we like and a couple of songs that we like or don't like. Um, you know, and, and, but but, but what, what church is kind of meant to be, I think, is a family where we go, you know that thing that says your kingdom is opposite, wrong way around, I can't remember the words but where we serve. A, king, a church is not where's a church that I can get the most, it's where can I give the most. I have an incredible, um, these incredible friends called the Harrisons. Um, they have four girls ranging from age four to age 12. They've, they went up to Joburg, felt God calling them there. They served a church there for many years and now they're back in Belito. And they've been looking at different churches and, and asking God where he wants them. And there's some amazing churches in Belito. Um, you know, I heard it once said that, that parents will choose a, a church with good kidsmen and average preaching over good preaching and average kidsmen. So often us as parents, we're like, we're the best. Where are they gonna look after my kids the best? But what this couple have done in their, in their searching and they're looking for a church is they've gone, where can I serve the most? So instead of choosing a church that's got amazing kidsmen, good preaching, great coffee, they've chosen this little church that's struggling. With their kids, they don't have it easy. They've got all these kids and they're going, we're gonna go serve here because this is where the body of Christ needs me to give. Um, but often, it's, that's a really hard way, so uh, hard way to live, but, um, and we're often not seeing it play out that way um, in our communities. And then the other thing is faulty connections. You know, we, we often in our culture, we have this blur between the, the online world and the offline world, and, which is, which, and often we're swapping out online relationships and putting too much emphasis on them where they're not actually, there's not actually a lot of reality to them. I had this moment um, a few years ago where I experienced just this. Um, let me take a sip. So those of you who know me will, will know that I am quite a big fan of John Mark Comer. He's an author, a church, he was a church leader, incredible teacher um, of the word. And 
a little while ago, I, I follow him on Instagram and, and a, a little while ago, I woke up in the morning and on my phone, it said, John Mark Comer has requested to follow you. And he is like a big deal. Like he's a pretty famous oak. And I was like, oh my gosh, John Macoma knows who I am. He knows about the chat and the work I'm doing. And, and suddenly I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And so I show my husband who rolls his eyes. He, he literally calls all of social media instant twit face. So he's got no time for, for, for social media. And then I screenshot it and I show my, I send it to my friend and she like rolls her eyes and I'm like, this is a big deal, guys. So I wait a little while because I don't want to act too like needy, you know? And then... And then a couple of hours later, I accept his follow request. And then I go about my day. And then later in the day, I'm, I'm just going through Instagram. And I see a message by John Mark Comer saying, if anyone received follow requests to me, please ignore them. I've been hacked. <laughs> I was gutted. I was like, no. <laughs> so this was like, this caused hysterical laughter amongst my husband and my friends and everyone, and a massive reality check for me. Like that guy, I mean, it's so funny because like, I know that they're vegan. I know that he does CrossFit. His wife's a runner. They've got a dog, you know, and like in my life, they're like my mates. <laughs> they do not care about me. <laughs> um, but it was just such a good example to me that sometimes like this online world can seem so real. Guys, it's not. You know, one of my favorite quotes about the, the online space is being popular on Instagram is like being rich in Monopoly. It's pretty much the same. So, but often we swap out and I see a lot of young people doing this where they have these like online girlfriends. I have the delight of spending every Wednesday, Thursday and Friday morning at Northwood School with 315 year old boys. They are wonderful, very complex and interesting and I learn lots from them. But like some of them have these girlfriends that they've never met. And so my standard rule with these boys is you can't call her your girlfriend until you know what she smells like. So, but we do, like there's these like long relationships on, and, and it's like so much easier to have a girlfriend online because you know, you can answer her when you feel like it. You don't have to take her places, you know, those kinds of things. But this is, um, and then even disconnect in the family. You know, back in the day, we would sit around one TV watching one program. I remember growing up, my mom would buy us one chocolate a week, and we would eat it while we were watching Night Rider on a Monday night, and we would all choose a character, and only when that character came on, you were allowed to open your chockey. And it was fun. We would do it together. But now, even in my home, like, Emily likes to watch Chicago, Chicago Med. I like to watch Call the Midwife. The boys like to watch surfing. And so often, we're all watching different things. And so there can be, like, this disconnect even in a home. And then busyness, we all know that busyness disconnects us. You know, sometimes we all, almost see it as a badge of honor. And when someone says, how are you? You say, I'm so good. I'm so busy, eh? So busy. Like you'd feel like so shameful if you actually said, you know what? I'm so chilled. I read a whole book yesterday. You'd be like embarrassed. Like people would be like, oh, are you not contributing meaningfully to society. Like, what is wrong with you? And we've like made busyness this idol, this thing that we aspire to. We wanna keep our lives so busy. Um, and, and, we, and we often have this wrong focus of, and this is one of my greatest frustrations working with teenagers, is they all about, when I ask them what success is, it's always money and it's always fame. There's an incredibly toxic man on the internet right now. Not gonna tell you his name because I don't want you to give him one more click but literally he is inspiring this generation of boys to use women as objects and to gather as much money and power and build an empire for yourself. 
and that everything in the world is for your pleasure um, to create your empire. And a lot of our young people are buying into this and they are not alone. Often we are focused on money and, and um, you know, building things rather than building relationship, family and kingdom. And then the last thing that the enemy uses to disconnect us, and this is one of his favorite um, tools and it's that of shame. Um, in Genesis 3 verse 7, after Adam and Eve had had that decision about whether or not to eat the fruit and went like, did God really say, are you sure that's what he meant? You know, I mean, uh, uh, guys, a little bit of a dis- disclaimer, um, disclosure here. When I, so I didn't grow up in the church and then I got saved. My husband and I were living together, sleeping together. And I remember opening the Bible and coming across this word called fornication. It's quite a hectic word. So I was like, I actually don't know what that means. So I looked it up in the dictionary, hoping it was gonna be like sleeping with lots of people, like debauchery is like sex outside marriage. And I sat there going, really? Did God really say that? Like, we are gonna get married. It's not like I'm sleeping with lots of people. You know, money's tight. We can't move into another place. And that, I kind of thought like, I'm exactly like Adam and Eve in the garden. <laughs> are you sure? Is that what you really say? But anyway, they were like, Crunch ate the, the fruits and the eyes, were, their eyes, then both of their eyes were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then God, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, but they hid from the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. But the Lord called out to the man and said, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid." So sad. That part of the Bible always makes me so sad. But when we choose our own truth, if I wanted to write my own definition underneath that one in the dictionary and continued sleeping with Brad, I was going my own way. I was choosing to walk away. And when, when um, Adam and Eve chose to walk away from God, chose to go their own way, they broke connection with Him. Um, and then sin entered the world. And shame is one of the, the biggest tactics of the enemy. In women, shame normally looks like do everything perfectly and don't let anyone see you sweat. Make sure everyone knows you've got it all together. You are hustling the hustle. You are, you are, you are owning it. You are the perfect mom. And, you are, and you're not even, it's not even hard. And with guys, it's, it's often, do not be perceived to be weak, especially to the woman in your life. And often the enemy uses shame um, to, to make us hard. And when we make a mistake, we don't know what to do, we aren't coping, we're feeling anxious, we don't feel like we're enough, we often feel shame and we often hide. Um, I heard it once said that friends are like toddlers. When they go quiet, you know something's, something's up. Um, you know, if you've, if you've ever been in a house with a toddler, there's a lot of noise and then it goes silence and you're like, where is that kid? And what are they doing? <laughs> but when your friend doesn't come to church for a while or your friend kind of just goes quiet, that's often shame. That's often where you need to go, are you okay? Are you coping? I'm here. What do you need from me? Because often we hide. And when we get into those places of shame where we feel like we, we, we disconnect from our friends, we often then start to just numb. We do it through shopping, eating, working, pornography, casual sex, um, Netflix, exercise. There's all sorts of ways that we can distract ourselves so cleverly and disconnect ourselves from people. So how do we live well-connected lives? How do we prioritize? If connection is so important, if connection is the wellspring of human flourishing, 
how can we prioritize it where maybe we've lost it in our lives? Well, first of all, it's important to know and remember that all that was lost in the garden was reclaimed at the cross. That the curtain of disconnect was torn when Jesus paid the price for our sin and our wrong choices. And so remember that, that the disconnect, if you have given your life to Jesus, um, like I did in that paddy field in South Korea all those years ago, before I started paging through the, to the dictionary and the Bible, trying to figure out what it all meant, um, you were reconnected to your Father. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit and there is no longer any disconnect. But the victory is won, but the enemy still keeps trying to sabotage us with misinformation um, and keep us in a state of disconnect. So what are our weapons we have in our arsenal to fight for and establish connection? Well, I think it all boils down to what was said in Matthew 22, 34 to 40. And this is what it says, hearing that Jesus, sorry, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with a question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And in the scripture, we see, we see Jesus teach, love the Lord your God. Connection here. With all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Connection here. And then love others. This connection outwards like this. So let's go backwards with this. Um, how do we love other people? Again, so many things I could say here. But I'm just going to say a few things that I've found helpful um, in, in, in the last, kind of as I've researched this and, and unpacked it. In relationships, emphasize connection over information. You know, emphasize f the person feeling seen, loved, and honored over being right. You don't always, we don't always have to be right. You know, I think often in a lot of our um, especially with the digital world, we're so used to throwing out opinions. And, and we, I actually wrote an article for a magazine recently called The Lost Art of Disagree, Disagreeing Respectfully. We kind of lost this, this way of like just being together but not agreeing on everything. Um, and then also remember that um, our words speak life or death. Speak life. Speak life over people. Speak life into situations. I'm not saying don't have awkward conversations because those are really, really important. But in our conversations, in our interactions, let people be, feel loved and honored. And then the other thing is go deep, not wide. You know, even especially speaking maybe to the younger people, social media teaches us we need to have lots of friends. We don't, you know, the research says people who have one or two good friends, they're the most content. They're the, most, they're the ones who feel the most connected. So go deep, invest time. And then with our kids, those who have, who have children, it's important that in our relationships with our children, it's not just about telling them what is right and what is wrong and training them up in what is right, although that is so important. It is about children feeling seen, feeling heard, and feeling unconditionally loved. Those children who will navigate their teen years best in terms of drugs, digital addiction, pornography, um, you know, self-harm, which is becoming more and more, are the ones who feel belonging and unconditional love at home, where they feel like there's a place where they don't have to prove anything to anyone, where they just are loved. And so let your, let your homes, let our homes and our churches be safe places where people feel loved, where they, can, where they feel empathy, where they feel that they can be vulnerable. 
And one of the birthplaces of vulnerability is, is serving and being served. So it's really helpful like if you need help to ask for help. Sometimes it's pride and shame that stop us from asking for help. You know, I was, I, I was raised by a very independent, very strong single mother. I always decided I wasn't gonna need anyone for anything. Um, and I kind of carried that attitude in my heart for many years. And what finally broke it actually was having twins. Because you can't survive without help. You, you literally will die. You'll just like cry and then be in a puddle. Um, and so I had to ask for help when I had my babies. I had, a, I had a little girl who was not even two yet. And then these little boys came along. And so I remember one time Brad was traveling for work and this couple, young couple in our church offered to come and help bath and put the kids to bed and feed them because that, you know, those two hours before bed with young kids, it's called suicide hour for a reason. Um, so they helped me and then they were in bed. I was like, okay, guys, you, you, that's, thank you so much. And as they drove out the driveway, both of my sons started vomiting. Bearing in mind, they're like not even one yet. Um, and so I phoned, I phoned my friends and I was like, can you guys come back? I was like contemplating, should I tell them why? Maybe they won't. But they came back and we spent that night in a relay of cleaning vomits, holding children, putting children to bed, washing sheets and stuff like that. And you know what, that, that night we still talk about. And actually our friendship went to a new level that night because they served me and, and I was so grateful to, and when you open your heart and you're vulnerable with your needs and you're able to serve one another, Jesus tells us to do it for a reason because it is in serving that we form deep connections together. Um, and then to ourselves, sometimes the last person I wanna to connect to is myself. That mess, that insecurity, you know, there's that thing called imposter syndrome. You know, I think probably three times this week, I was like, did Olive Tree really want me to come and talk? Like, are you sure? Um, anyway, so we do often don't want to connect with ourselves and, and we're afraid um, to actually really think about, um, about, about ourselves and our stuff and to deal with it. Or sometimes we don't even think we need to. We just carry on with our busyness of our life and think we're okay. Um, after all, there's so much to do. Why waste time navel-gazing? It's really it's like self-indulgent. But actually, if we don't take care of our own souls on a regular basis, it affects everyone. Because if there's stuff in my heart that I don't deal with, I might hold it together when things are good. But when I'm, when I'm struggling, then it's gonna spew out onto my family and onto my kids and onto my friends. And so we really do need to take time often and daily to process your emotions and teach your children to do the same. I just made a little note here, never give a crying or tantrum throwing child an iPad or a phone. That's just for free because you teach them to numb their emotions. Okay, so um, we, we don't wanna numb our emotions. We need to teach our children to process their emotions in a healthy way. Um, regular social media audits, digital audits, is this a healthy space for me? Is it detracting me? Is it distracting me from the call of God on my life? Um, or is it adding to my life? Am I a slave to this phone or is it um, a helpful tool in my life? And then also when you feel that, you, you know, when I read that word in the, in the dictionary that day, I could have glossed over it. I could have gone, oh, I can't deal with that. But shame, poor Brad, he walked through the, we were living in South Korea and, and he worked later than me and he walked through the door and I said, babe, I've got something I need to talk to you about. I found this word in the dictionary. I found it in the Bible and then I found it in the dictionary. <laughs> and we dealt with it. And, and you know, it was the most, I can't go into all of that, but it was the, when you deal with your stuff before God and you ask him to heal you and guide you, it is the most liberating thing. And we mature and we grow in our freedom and in our relationships. And then also, I just wanna give you license to guilt-free downtime. 
margins. You know, um, Dallas Willard says, hurry is the great enemy of the soul in our day. Take time to do nothing. Take time to be quiet and let your brain process. And then the last thing in terms of connection is to God. And of course, all connections must flow from this one primary fundamental connection. We must abide deeply in Him, our ears and our hearts open to what He wants to say, listening for His affirmation, His correction, His instruction, and His direction. When we connect with God, we know who we are. It is where we find out who we are. He calls us into our destiny and he replaces a lot of the lies that we believe with his truth. He brings conviction, he brings vision, he brings healing and encouragement. Romans 8 verse 16 says, God's spirit touches our spirit and confirms who we really are. We know who he is and we know who we are, father and children, deeply connected. Um, And so we need to create space and quiet in our lives to hear this most important whisper. Our busy lives often don't. So my encouragement is reclaim the vital practice of quiet time with God. Um, You know, my family and I love the Soccer World Cup. Like we are pretty obsessive about it. We, We pick our teams we, we have logs that are on the fridge. There are prizes for whose team wins. We like, we love it. And so we watch pretty much everything that time zones allow. But last year, last time the World Cup was on, I was sitting there in the lounge one day with my husband and my kids and my, my sons and some other people. And you know, when you watch sport with men, it's like watching it with 10 commentators and seven referees, all who think that they're right. The girls, like, we like, we're like, I don't know, I think that guy on the field probably knows more than us, so I'm just going to leave it to him. No, 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 no. There's always something wrong with some decision somewhere. And I remember sitting there the one time with everybody shouting their opinion at what had happened on, in something, someone had got a yellow card or whatever, and they were all shouting, and you could not hear the person on the TV who actually knew what had happened. Because all of these people were shouting what they thought should have happened, had happened, might have happened, could have happened. And I sat there and I went, this is what life's like sometimes. There's so many people shouting things, whether it's social media, whether it's um, work, whether it's whatever, shouting at me and filling my, my mind with noise that I often can't hear the one person who actually knows what's going on. <laughs> and his name is Jesus. <laughs> and so create that time. And if this is a new practice to you and you're not used to putting aside time, I encourage morning and evening time. Midday, if you can, go for a walk if you get a lunch break and spend some time with you. And obviously we're with God all day. But I have come across this app and I'm someone who speaks about digital minimalism. It's called Lectio 365. And I've loved this app because it's got like a little thing in the morning and a little thing in the evening that help me structure this time. And I don't always use it, but I particularly love the evening one. So a good idea is use it, but maybe use a Bluetooth speaker and put your phone in the other side of the house so you don't get distracted by Instagram. And then it literally goes, thank you, God, for this day. Please show me where you were in my life today. Please show me what gifts you gave me in this day. Please show me where I sinned and I give my sin to you and I receive your forgiveness. And it's just, it's just reclaiming that, that lost art of processing life with Jesus. And so however you do it, prioritize that. And remember, don't hide in the shadows like Adam and Eve did. God knew they were there. He knew what they'd done. He loved them anyway.
He wanted them to come out. He wanted them to be with Him. God loves us so much. He loves each of us. He wants to walk with us. He wants to walk with us closely. Um, I love that scripture that says, I'm sending a helper who will be with you always. Like with me. He wants to be connected to me. Yes, in me, of course, but with me. He wants relationship, but He also wants you to have relationship here and in the world. Deep, messy, vulnerable, relationships where you're gonna get hurt, where you're gonna learn, where you're gonna grow, where you're gonna get offended, where you're gonna learn to forgive. Deep, face-to-face, meaningful relationships. And then of course, life-giving connection with yourself, where you find and you grow and you learn about yourself and you become more like Jesus. And so I really encourage us today is prioritize connection. But first and foremost, always prioritize this connection with Jesus. Allow Him to pour His love into us, His unconditional affirmation and love, so that we can pour it out into a broken, hurting, disconnected world that is so desperate for the love of Jesus. I'm gonna stop there and I think I'll pray for us if that's okay. Father God, I thank You for this morning. I thank You for this day, this beautiful day in this beautiful city that we get to live in. I thank you for the Olive Tree community. I thank you for each and every person who's here today. I pray, Lord God, that you would use my my fumbling words in some way to bring freedom, to bring encouragement, to bring your, just a, a reminder of your absolute love and the depth of your affection for us, Lord Jesus. I commit each of us to you, and I thank you that you are always so deeply connected to us. Amen.